All right, cool. Hmm. So, how are you doing, buddy? Good. <laughs> did you did you finish watching it or no? Um, I got about. Let me see. How far did I get in? I got about forty five minutes in. <laughs> Four. And then I switched to. Uh, <laughs> And I switched to YouTube to watch an explainer video and some guy was talking about it and he did a really good job and like he, he verbalized everything that was happening and he kind of gave like a an overall plot based around the book and then based around the movie and how the movie operates differently from the book. And then he gave like a breakdown of, okay, so you have six concurrent timelines that the book approaches differently because I guess the book goes in the first six chapters. It does the first half of each story consecutively in the, in the first half and then what it does is it goes to a completely different story and then it goes back and it finishes each of those six arcs in reverse order from the first order it's so crazy i mean i i imagine it's probably as crazy as the movie is well appa well apparently though in the movie they decided to not do that technique and just to overlay yeah each story and I guess what's tricky about the movie is, so you know you have like six main actors that you'd recognize. So you have Ben Whishaw, Hugo Weaving, Tom Hanks, Susan Sarandon, I believe. She's only, as far as I know, she only had like the one part, unless she was like heavily makeup, which a lot of people were. Who else is in it? Halle Berry. Yeah. And Notting Hill. Hugh Grant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hugh Grant. Okay. Hugh Grant. So apparently what's confusing about the movie and what throws a lot of people off with the movie is that the way they do it is they all play multiple characters in each other's timelines. That's what throws people off because apparently it's the same person through different, it's like different lifespans. Mm -hmm. In every character that has the birthmark in the shape of the comet, it's a reincarnation of the same person through different times but what throws you off is in one of those narratives for example Halle Berry will have the birthmark yeah then when they go to the next life she'll play a different character in that story and you're like well is that the same character but it's not it's so the reincarnation jumps between those characters but those characters also play other characters which makes it really confusing <laughs> I guess it, it's it's almost it's almost as uh confusing as Tenet Tenet I I couldn't even I couldn't even keep up with uh, for the listener too, we were talking about Cloud Atlas oh, yeah. uh, by the Wachowskis. <laughs> Have we just started? Is that what we're doing? We're just, yeah, we we're just, just getting yeah. into it? Whatever. Okay, yeah, it's all good. You got to roll with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, How many times have you seen Tenet now? Uh, I've seen it, I think I've seen it three times. I think, wow. I think three. I think three. I think I've seen it three times yeah. too. I'm saying wow, but I'm pretty sure I have. Yeah. And neither of us saw it in the theater because of the COVID pandemic. Oh, that's, lockdown. that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah I... I yeah, so three, because I wasn't it on HBO or something? Yes, it was on, was it, did HBO do it when they did, it's a Warner Brothers movie, so it would be on HBO. Yes, I think Warner Brothers put it out, rather, but they also, no, actually, let's backtrack. Warner Brothers did not do what they did with The Batman in June. What they did, they didn't do Day and Date, because this was still earlier than that, and Nolan was like, fuck no, it's going in the theater. Yeah. And so it was the biggest movie that dropped that year in the theater in 2020. 
and they were like, come hella high water, this movie's going out in the theater, which in hindsight, I think is a bad move. They should have just done mm. the double release date. Yeah. And then everybody could have got a chance to see it because I feel like at the time when you and I were talking about it, that was too soon for us to feel comfortable to go back. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, we, it we were, was right on the cusp. Yeah, you know? it was right. Yeah, we were still a bit iffy, and then we just kind of at some point we threw caution to the wind, and we we're like, "Oh, whatever, you know, we're all gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> might as well die not, at an early movie. Might as well see a movie. Okay, so I'm curious then. Yeah. So talk me through. You just recently re- rewatched it. Yeah. Start to finish in one sitting. Yeah. Yeah. I um okay. I think I only stopped it once to like make lunch or something like that. And then I watched it while I was eating lunch. I, I was doing everything I could to pay complete attention to it, to pay complete attention to the theory of it, how they were explaining everything, uh, how they weren't explaining everything. I was trying to pay close attention to when things were starting to go regular and then inverted, when they start to kind of introduce that pincer move, when as soon as they introduce the pincer move with the uh, the military guy, it loses me every time. Like I can't understand it at that point. I think that's totally fair because I think for me, I'm I'm the same as you. I go through the beginning part of the movie with the introduction of and I'm, I think Kenneth I got Bonner's it, character. and I think I got it, and then yeah. no, yeah. Yeah, and the inverted bullets in the inverted materials that are being sent back from the future. I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I can kind of figure this out. Like, I'm holding on for dear life. Yeah. <laughs> I go through the heist, which I think is great, on both in the airport with the, the massive big uh, Boeing 747 that they drive through, and then the highway chase, which is leads up to Kenneth Branagh shooting. He shoots his wife. Yeah. His estranged wife. Yeah. And then... From there, we get introduced to Aaron, Paul, Alan, Aaron Taylor, Rod, what's his name? Aaron Taylor, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. I know who you're talking about. Him. Yeah. That fucking guy from Bullet yeah, Train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he fucking sucks. Yeah. Anyway, get introduced <laughs> to him. And then, then I'm gone. Then I'm like, yeah, I'm like totally gone. And by the time we get to the end and we have the two, uh, the two, the red team and the blue team of the, like the, um, I have no fucking idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who they're fighting. That's the thing. It's like it, it only shows the red team and the blue team. I can't see anybody they're shooting at. And and I can't see anybody who's shooting at them because they're not, they don't stand out uh, amongst the rubble and stuff like that. So I have no idea who's shooting at anybody and what's blowing up and what's not blowing. It's so, so convoluted and confusing. And then the whole thing at the end where... Pattinson starts to explain their relationship loses me even more. I have no idea. I have no idea who he is, where he's from. If he, is he from the future? Is he from the past? Is he, I, I have no idea. Yeah, because they hint at them having an existing relationship where there's a few scenes where he he's like, what do you want to drink? And he orders like a Perrier with lime or some fan, fancy drink. And he's like, no, you'll have a Diet Coke. And he goes, no, that's not what I want. And he goes, no, but you really want a Diet Coke. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I love the little hints of their relationship existing in a timeline that we haven't seen. You know what, Kat? But I think kind yeah, of. I don't know. And it's a weird thing. Who's the main actor? What, what's his name? Oh, um, Denzel Washington's son, um, David Washington. Is it something like that? Bloody hell! Yeah, I'm not really doing good today. I should bring up the old fucking yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah, <laughs> it's what I mean. If you see Tenant, you know who it is. I don't like him as a protagonist. I can't a- after seeing it. 
as many times as I have, I don't buy him in that role. And it's a weird, it's weird for me to say, but I, he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem like he fits within that group of people for some reason. And I don't know why. And it's also kind of a weird thing. He's shorter than everyone. And I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it wow. whatsoever. But if you watch it, he's shorter than everyone. Yeah, and it's not like they're doing that Tom Cruise thing where they're balancing <laughs> him out um, by filming him on certain <laughs> angles because he is actually pretty short. You're right, and he is shorter than everybody. And, and it's weird. That actually puts me off too. Yeah, I mean, if you watch it, you he's the protagonist. He's the one who's selling this whole action adventure sort of thing. And you need, you need someone who's almost larger than life in that role. I mean, I, w- I would say flip it to where let's invert it to, to Pattinson <laughs> being the protagonist and then him being the, the uh, Pattinson's role reversing it somehow i don't know there's someone else who needs to be in that role i didn't buy it which is weird i i I don't know and like watching it a third time i was like hyper aware of that and he's a great actor he he's a great great great. actor yeah he's really good in amsterdam i I wish i could finish amsterdam i couldn't get (laughs) he's the best part of amsterdam in my opinion yeah i did i told you i did 15 minutes of it and i was like i can't i can't do it yeah so you think with, with him then, so it's John David Washington, great actor, looks the part, very handsome guy. Yeah. For a leading man in an action movie, which I would classify Tenet as an action movie, he's not, he's too diminutive in stature in my opinion. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, and it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter, being that Tom Cruise is an action star and he's tiny, <laughs> but he feels, he feels a little out of place physically. It's weird. It's else. like, um... Because his character is supposed to be kind of almost a James Bond-ish type character. So I'm thinking when Daniel Craig is is going toe-to-toe with the Mads Mikkelsen in, in Casino Royale, he has the chops for it. You know, he has the like gravitas for that role. You know, it's the tit for tat where um, uh, Washington and, and Branagh, when they go back and forth, it's just, it's a weird chemistry. It's completely, it's a strange chemistry. And Branagh's kind of out. I mean, he's over the top in this. Yeah. John David Washington. Yeah. He's a good actor though, but like, he's not in the same league as Branagh. No. And Branagh though, to be fair, whilst he's a, he's a wonderful actor, he's chewing the fucking scenery in that movie to a level where he's almost unhinged, you know? I, and the, the same with him. I don't see him in that role. No, it's, I'm not used to seeing him in roles like that, but I, I think that's why I think he's effective. I think he's effective in being, he's disturbing because he seems very, very unhinged. And I think he's, he's effective at that. Now, whether that's part of, because he's misfiring on his performance, I don't know. But it, to go back to what you said too, this does very much to me feel like Christopher Nolan wrote a Bond movie. And this is his version of a Bond movie. Because, and then in that case, if you were to flip it, and now I don't mean anything to do with the fact of the fact that John David Washington's black no, and Robert no, no, no. Pattinson's no. white. No, not at but all. But it does make more sense to flip it to have Pattinson be. But that's also because we're reading it as a Bond movie in a way. Yeah. Because of like the tropes of the, the way it's been set up, like an international man of mystery. So we're coded in a way to read it, and especially when you have a British actor like Robert Pattinson, we're reading it like, oh, well, he should be the main guy because he's a British spy intelligence agent or whatever. And it, it all takes place in europe i think the only americans that are in it are washington and then martin donovan in the beginning 
mm-hmm. and that's Briefly, yeah. pretty much it. And you're assuming, okay, they work for the CIA, but like the the off the books, off the books CIA sort of thing. And then everything else is English, you know, British or European or whatever, you know. Which again lends itself to being very bond in yeah, European exotic locales, mm-hmm. beaches on yachts, millionaires on yachts. Um, yeah, very much a bond. The trappings of a Bond movie. It's interesting. I think, so I was really hyped. Do you remember when the trailer for Tenet came out? I mean, you were talking about yeah. it. And it was that trailer where it's just him against, he's in the turnstile and it's the bulletproof glass and you see the bullets coming out of the bulletproof glass on the trailer, the initial trailer. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Gonna be fucking awesome. Yeah. Then we get the, no, the normal Nolan routine, which is he gives us the, like the epilogue or whatever, the, the beginning or the prologue, right? Oh, yeah, the prologue yeah. of the movie. Yeah as a trailer that ran before something else. I forgot what it was, but I watched the whole initial sequence in the, I think it's like an opera house or wherever they're at, which is incredible. It's so good. It kicks off. I mean, it kicks off from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's fire. When it starts, you're like, holy shit, I'm in. This is going to be fucking righteous. Mm-hmm. And then he just loses you. He loses you, and I don't think he gets you back. He, he loses it with the mechanic of it. I mean, it's it's unnecessary, the, um, the strangeness of it. I mean, I kind of, kind of, and I say that by, I, I'm kind of scratching the surface of it. They're preventing a future war by finding materials that have already happened from a future war. And that's kind of where all this stuff comes from there's there's like this black market of of material that has surfaced from a future timeline it's i something like that i I don't know i don't know but i kind of i kind of get it i kind of get it but it's like there's a certain point where you just lose it oh yeah you definitely lose that and i think i think if anybody told me if I was speaking to anyone like we knew or anybody in our circle. And they're like, oh, I can totally get And they totally were like, oh, yeah, it. I totally understood. <laughs> no, you don't. Tenet, first time. And they were like, yeah, I totally got it first time around. I'd be like, I think you're full of shit. <laughs> if I'm being honest. I would say it in a nice way, but I, I would, because there's no way. <laughs> I, I, now, I would not be like, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, you call them out. Well, you know what's interesting then? So this isn't the first time that Nolan's done, obviously, definitely not the first time that Nolan's done, like really high concept science fiction like very very high concept yeah. which is his like it's his forte you know it's his style so what is it about that tenet that fails where movies like i would say the closest parallel to this is inception from his catalog and the reason i think it's the closest parallel because inception also plays like a heist movie well it is a heist movie and it also dicaprio's character is a little bit james bondy in that movie and there's a straight james bond homage in that movie with the snow yeah the yeah. the chase the descent down the snow capped Alps or whatever like on skis which is very James Bond like very very I think so why does that work and Tenet doesn't work yeah I think for some reason I I think most people understand the concept of dreams you know or the the idea of dreaming within a dream sort of thing it's just it's a layer thing that you can attach yourself to when you start messing around with. I, I, that's strange. When you start messing around with time, as far as like a hard, like a hard uh, sci-fi t- kind of time narrative, for some reason it throws everything off. I there was at no point do I think was I ever lost in Inception. I I figured it out right away. 
sort of thing. And and he gave you enough information to keep up. I think that's the thing. He gave you he doled out enough information for you to keep up with with everything he was giving to you. He was giving you at the time and he was building upon what he was giving you um with the page character who was almost our our way into what was going on and then your uh DiCaprio's backstory which builds on what was told to us uh in the beginning but for some reason he didn't explain it correctly i think in tenet i, I think he he under explained it almost in a way he gave you just like the nuggets and you were just expected to understand it where inception it was it was easily ingested i think i don't if that makes any sense no i think it does and I think, like I, I do think Inception, Inception's mechanics for its plot are easier to digest than the time situation in Tenet. Granted, I do think Inception does get a little convoluted, but for me, I and I was thinking about it. I think the main difference between the two is at the heart of Inception, you essentially have a love story mm-hmm. between a man and his wife, and they explain that love story through explaining the situation that Marion Cotillard is in versus what Leonardo DiCaprio is in and how they basically, how they ended up in that situation also explains the mechanic. So you you become invested in, you have something to hold on to outside of the complications of the plot. Whereas in Tenet, you do have like a burgeoning love affair between John David Washington's character and Branagh's estranged wife. You do have that, but it's not in the same it's not, it's not played or fleshed out in the same way. And no. you, you don't have anything to root yourself in emotionally to, to want to keep up and to want to follow it or even to allow it to be abstract because you can allow something to be abstract if you're caught up in the dynamic of the relationships and the, and the people and the conversations and you care about the characters. I don't care about any of the characters in Tenet because there none of go. them really come across as fleshed out or whole. There you go. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the main things. It's like you... The, the character that they want you to attach yourself to, if it doesn't happen right away, it's not going to happen at all because he's trying to figure it out as much as you are as it's going along. And I don't think he understands it either. Dude, that's such a good point because he doesn't because DiCaprio seems very in control of the situation where he seems like he's one step ahead of us because he's experienced. So we're following him and we're trusting him with how this is going to play yeah. out. John David Washington is essentially a man with no name. He's like a blank. He's basically a, I mean, he's almost like a reprogrammed lackey at this point where he literally doesn't understand. He gets armed with a, what's a password tenant. And he says that, but he has fucking no clue what he's getting into. <laughs> and as the movie unfolds, it doesn't seem like he's figured it out. Even by the very end, he hasn't really figured out Robert Pattinson and him. Exactly. Yeah. So how the fuck are we supposed to figure it out? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because he's supposed to sell it to us and his character has no idea what's going on yeah i think that really really sums up tenet (laughs) i mean what do you like about it i mean as an action piece it's it's great it's great yeah as a exercise in high like high concept set pieces and action it's great it's great i still kind of don't buy this idea of when 
he's fighting himself in the hallway from the inverted aspect where he's all in the black suit and he's fighting himself, right? Mm-hmm. He knows what's going on or he knows what's going to happen because he's already he's done all that already. Why is he trying to shoot himself in the head? Oh, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I have no idea. I have fucking no clue. Because they're fighting in that hand-to-hand uh, scene with the, with the plexiglass and the entire time he's trying to shoot himself in the head. Why? Why fight it all? Yeah. It's strange. Why not just try and... I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Tenet. <laughs> Tenet. <laughs> 2020 Christopher Nolan. Makes no sense whatsoever. I, I mean... The, the tagline for the poster. I mean, <laughs> even what, Interstellar had some kind of far out kind of nonsense that was going on. Still kind of messing around with time. But you understood it enough to go along with. Yeah, because you cared about Matthew McConaughey mm. and you cared about him and his daughter and you cared about that relationship. You were you were grounded in it. You were grounded in something that you grasped onto to go along with Nolan. And Nolan needs to sort that shit out because How do you think he's gonna do with the biopic? I think he's gonna do fine. I think he's gonna do along the lines of what he did with Dunkirk, okay. where he, he's he's taking something that's not like a Nolan high concept original. He is in danger, though, if he does flip back after Oppenheimer. Yeah. And he flips back into doing like a Nolan joint, you know, <laughs> yeah. or like, which is basically like, in my opinion, Jordan Peele has stolen my excitement from Christopher Nolan now <laughs> after post Tenet. Yeah. But he's in danger because he needs to, he can't do that again. He can't go too fucking clever for his own boots, you know? He needs to keep, you need to keep the audience in because ultimately you're still selling them on a blockbuster movie, you're sell, selling them on a roller coaster. Thrill spills, chills. It needs all of those things because it's not an art house movie at this point. Not when you're spending 350 million and you're f- crashing real 747s into build like real buildings <laughs> and doing all of this crazy shit. Yeah. This isn't an, it isn't Primer. He's not making Primer. No, no, no. <laughs> you could argue then, <clears throat> conversely, you could be like, well, so how come Primer works when you don't get really rooted with any of the characters and Tenet doesn't? Primer works because it's 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 a low budget indie movie, so you you allow it to be convoluted and technical because that's the point of it. Yeah, you do not allow a big. Your brain is looking at something and going, "I should be getting entertained right now. Why am I not being entertained?" <laughs> by its format, I think. Uh, or even uh, the one that we talked about a while ago. Um, what was it with the the Schrodinger's cat? Schrodinger's cat. What was it? What what episode was that? I can't even say it. Schroding, Schrodinger's cat. Um, what movie coherence, was that? coherence. Coherence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Coherence is convoluted as fuck. Yeah, you're messing around with timelines and the whole thing, but it's like you can follow it. You can follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels contained. It doesn't, it's, it, it feels like it's really hyper focused on just that thing and it's not getting lost in pretending to be uh, a James Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> And there was another movie too, that movie Something in the Dirt that I watched recently. Oh yeah, I, I hadn't seen that. How was that? It's good. It plays a lot like, I would put it in the same wheelhouse as Coherence and Primer. Okay. Those movies. But it does this really interesting thing where it, it presents itself like it's going to be one of those movies and then it ends up just being like an oddball comedy. It's really weird. Mm. I think it's really good, but it. remember when we first saw the trailer for that? It was at AMC, of all things, and we saw the trailer for Something in the Dirt, and we all looked at each other. Yeah, like, what? And we were like, holy <laughs> shit, what is this movie? Yeah. And it's nothing like that. Oh, okay. It has elements of all of that, but it's 
undermined by like this weird relationship between two buddies who just get to know each other and live in an apartment building. These like two oddball misfits in the comedy, and it is funny. It's genuinely funny, but it's like it's a mumblecore comedy sci-fi movie. Okay, as opposed to a straight up it's not like pie or like fucking prime away like holy shit this is intense as shit which is what i wanted <laughs> yeah so i was really disappointed i i highly recommend it though if anybody's listening and you want to see something in the dirt it's a huge recommend for like a three dollar rental and you will get a lot of stuff out and it it, it poses so many cool as such a cool setup and it's such a cool idea but it's not as interested in trying to, to do any it's not um what what what's his face um who who uh, wrote and directed Primer what was his name oh Caruth um, Caruth yeah Shane Caruth Shane Caruth you know uh, Upstream Color yeah it would be it's like Upstream Color if you made it into a comedy movie so it doesn't work it, does, it just doesn't work. it doesn't work yeah yeah not at all and it has not it, it's not as it's as, it's potentially as abstract as Upstream Color mm-hmm. easily as abstract but it doesn't commit to it so then it becomes kind of pointless because you're like well I'm not really getting invested in this because. <laughs> You keep undermining it by making jokes about the character smoking and getting drunk and like doing drugs and partying and smoking too much weed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think Noel. It's disappointing. Yeah. I think Nolan tapped into his inner Caruth basically for, uh, for Tenet. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God, speaking of somebody who I would love to see make another movie, Shane Caruth. I don't think we'll ever see another Caruth movie. Probably. I I can't imagine. I don't know. Keep hope alive, I guess. Talk about like, Yeah. I will keep we'll keep it alive. And one day, Eric, when this podcast blows up and we start making like crazy fucking money, <laughs> when when we get that my pillow money coming in or whatever, <laughs> Brooklyn or whatever we do, yeah, then we will fund Shane Carruth's next movie. <laughs> we'll be executive producers. Let's do that. And then we'll like be working in retail the 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 next week. Yeah, totally. When the movie makes three hundred dollars, yeah, <laughs> and we put all of our life savings yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Cloud Atlas. We will come back to Cloud Atlas because I do want to talk a little bit more about it. Cloud Atlas Tenet. What do we got next? Lost Highway. Okay, so dear listener, we've made no attempt at explaining what this episode is because <laughs> this, is, this isn't really an episode. It's just Eric and I catching up on our week yeah. of movies because that's what we're doing. We're just talking, which is actually what the show should fucking do. You know? <laughs> it should. I, it's so strange because I watched, strangely, I watched a lot of movies this week. I, I think I watched... Six movies this week. Yeah. I watched. I watched about the same. Yeah, I watched uh, Tenant. I watched. Um, what were we just talking? Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Tenant. Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Atlas. <laughs> uh, Lost Highway. Uh, the Nice Guys. And the Ambulance. A- ambulance. And then mm-hmm. Mank. I watched Mank last night. Oh, you watched Mank? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I switched it off. I need to get back to it. You know, you can tell when you're watching it. It's a COVID movie. Oh, you can't? Yeah, because uh, there's half of the movie, it's just three characters in a room writing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of flashbacks. But I mean, I I dug it so much because it's 1930s Hollywood, which is just fat. It's beautifully it's, shot, too. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fucking Finchy. You know what I mean? But I mean, that's that's my wheelhouse. I love that kind of era of, of Hollywood and... But yeah, I, I really, I watched a lot of movies this week. Yeah, dude, six. I watched, this is what I watched this week. I rewatched Barbarian. I watched the movie The Campaign with Will Ferrell and what's his face uh, from The Hangover. Oh, uh, Zach Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis, yeah. I'm just going to say this on the podcast for the record. I've been talking more and more about how much I like comedies and I, I love comedies when I'm feeling down or I have like personal issues going yeah, on yeah. and like I feel stressed out. Comedies like, are like comfort food for me, you know? Mm-hmm. 
That movie is funny as fuck. I watched it two and a half times this week and I've seen it <laughs> about three or four times in the past. But it's, it is so funny. Such a great movie. Very, I don't know if it would get made in 2023, which is funny because the movie came out more like 2016 or something. But it feels like it would not exist now, as like a lot of those movies yeah, do. Yeah. Galifianakis, though, such a talent. And Will Ferrell, top of his game in that movie. So anyway, side note, I, I watched the campaign a couple of times. Um, and then I rewatched, uh, what else did I see? Oh, last night I rewatched The Whale in theaters. Oh, okay. I went the Whale. Yep. Still haven't seen it. I was going to go to Infinity Pool tonight, but I'm not going to, I'm just not doing Infinity Pool. <laughs> it's not, it's not doing it. And then I was potentially going to catch Fablemans tonight too, but I'm not going, I'm just not going to the theater tonight. Okay. I'm not feeling it. Honestly, watch The Nice Guys. I forgot how good that movie is. I, all I, oh, all I want yeah, is, a, is a Nice Guys sequel. That's all I want. Which we probably will never, never get. get. We'll never get. I mean, it, it, it's going to be, it's going to be Gosling just like uh, pushing around freaking what's his name on a in a wheelchair the whole time (laughs) (laughs) honestly though for me like probably top top three russell crowe performances for me in that movie it's so good he fucking kills it in that movie yeah he's he's such a good actor russell crowe though he is he's probably a like no i'm not gonna say i don't know if he is but you hear (laughs) stories about russell crowe being like difficult and you know he has the stories we don't need to delve into it here but Top three crow performances for me, like LA Confidential. Oh yeah. N- nice guys. Probably Romper Stomper. <laughs> no. It's a good movie. Well, I don't know if it's a good I haven't seen that movie. It's been a while. It's been a while. Is it a I don't know. I don't know if it is. It's probably it's problematic, I'm sure. It definitely is problematic. Um then I, I don't know. I, I do like him in uh, Cinderella Man, the boxing mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Uh beautiful I like boxing. Beautiful movies. mind. Beautiful mind. He's good in that. He's kind of like hitting that stride, like um, doing those types of movies. He the, he did a series of those types of movies where he was the Oscar Beatty kind there of you movies. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, let's have a look. See what he's doing. Oh well, there's Gladiator too. We can't forget about Gladiator. Of which you know they're making the sequel, and I think Ridley Scott's doing the sequel to Gladiator. <laughs> Everyone died. Why? Yeah. Oh, actually, speaking of the whale, he's he's really good at Noah, the Aronofsky movie. I, I I watched it once, and I was like, okay, all right. Like that movie. He's really good in Master and Commander. That I mean that movie is fucking incredible. Let's have a look. Three Ten to Yuma. Yep. Excellent. Bale. Excellent yep. in that. Ben Foster. State of yep. Play, which is a really good political thriller with Ben Affleck. He's really good in that movie too. But he plays like a journalist. Have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. Uh, what's the DiCaprio Body of Lies? Oh yeah, Body of Lies, the Ridley Scott movie, um, The Quick and the Dead, excellent in that. Excellent, Sam yeah. Raimi movie, The Insider, Michael Mann. Oh, psh. Psh, forget about it. He's done some bangers, as the kids say. <laughs> oh, you know what he did do? This is funny. So years ago, when um, I bought my first DVD player, okay. So when did DVD players come out? I don't know, fucking eons ago. So I bought my first ever DVD player. And I was working at Blockbuster Video at the time. I think I was. And I saved up and Blu-ray players back, no, sorry, DVD players were like 300, 400 pounds, give or take, at the time in England. They were really expensive when they first came out. And this is before the PlayStation 2 came out and everybody had a DVD player built into their PlayStation. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think I've told this story before, but and it relates to Russell Crowe directly. So what I did was there was a company next to mine. It was just like, it was based out of like a strip mall and it was uh, a bunch of tech guys and they were like, hey, we'll region mod 
your DVD player so you could import DVDs. Oh, nice. Because back then, the cinematic window for releases was so exaggerated between the US and the UK. We were getting shit way later than you guys. Like, in some shit, we just wouldn't get it at all. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'll totally do it. And then I would get movie magazines and they had classified adverts in the back and it would be all region one, which would be you guys, yeah. import DVDs. So when I, I paid the money, got my DVD player unlocked, and then I went on a rampage <laughs> of with my meager blockbuster salary of just going through and, and looking at movies. And, and this is before I was using the internet too. I wasn't using the internet back then. And I'd be like, and I would do all of this mail order. You know, yeah, I was like, where are you order, getting like, it from? Yeah, totally. They were just basically... The, some guy was probably just flying across to America once a week, buying a bunch of movies and taking them back and they were just selling them oh, okay. through this mail order distribution system, you know? Yeah. So you, the same way you probably got the uh, Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee sex tape through like, you know, <laughs> a classified in a magazine. That's basically what it was. So I was going through and, and I would look at all the descriptions of the movies and I couldn't see trailers. I could just see box art. And, I, and like I, if I could make out an actor or two, I buy, 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 buy. And I would just buy all the new ones, all of the ones that I'd never heard of because they just weren't coming out. How much yet. did those cost? Like $40 a piece? Probably, yeah. I, was, I, I would spend a lot. I mean, it was my, it's always been my biggest hobby movies. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's always yeah. been my biggest passion. So I'd always, it's the thing I've always spent the most money on because I enjoy it so much. But I wanted to have a really good collection. And this is, yeah. And then DVDs were very expensive back then, just like Blu-rays are now. Did you ever collect VHS? Yeah, so did I. I those, those are long gone somewhere. I have no idea where. I had fucking hundreds of VHS. Yeah, I had and a, I had lot. a lot of pretty rare VHS by today's standard. Like a lot of stuff I know that goes for like really expensive. Like I had early, early editions or like first editions of like the Evil Dead movies and, and stuff like a lot of weird old horror movies that I'd pick up and I would just thrift, you know, and I would, I would get them. And it was just pre the the onslaught of people trying to collect vhs when the prices all shot up yeah so i had a lot of stuff like yeah i probably had i would probably say like f over 400 vhs that my the walls of my old apartment were stacked it was vhs stacks all around the walls <laughs> of the apartment because i had so many and they were stacked behind the couch you know yeah because i would just go thrifting and i buy like 20 or 30 of them at a time and it was like 20 bucks yeah so Anyway, side sidetracked, but and the reason I'm talking about Russell Crowe with this is one of the movies I got that came in early. I got a few. I remember getting Jawbreaker, which is a great movie with Rose McGowan. Really, really great like thriller movie. And I bought a movie called Mystery Alaska, which I had no idea what it was about. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an ice hockey movie, which for me as an English boy growing up, I don't fuck about no ice idea, hockey. Yeah. And I was like, why is it called Mystery Alaska? So I thought it was like a mystery film, but it's not. It's just a town in Alaska called Mystery who has like a, he's like a recovering alcoholic who leads his local ice, ice hockey team back to victory. But Russell Crowe, and it's funny because, and I, I'll always think of him because I watched, because back then I was, I didn't have a big collection and I didn't have streaming services on Netflix. So I'd watch these movies over and over and over and over again. You know, like way more than I should have done. So I've probably seen Mystery Alaska like 20 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the same. I think I owned all of uh, Tarantino stuff on VHS and like bought all the special editions and stuff like that and watched Reservoir Dogs like 20 times. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, the things you do when you're a kid and you're in the movies, you know. It's, it, of all the hobbies you could have, though, it's pretty, you know. I, I wasn't good at smoking crack. Yeah. <laughs> Movies with my crap. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we were talking about Lost Highway because yeah. what we were going to do an actual episode and the theme of the episode, it was kind of going to be along the lines of movies that we've seen that 
feel incredibly difficult to pin down and understand on first viewing and that we feel like we still haven't really grasped over time. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to Lost Highway now. So let's talk a little bit about Lost Highway. You re- you own it, correct? Yeah, I have the Criterion, um, the mm-hmm. 4K that just came out. Uh, which lo- You can't stream it right now. You can't. You, know you can't, which is weird. Nope. Which is because I looked. It's like to, discontinued. Yeah, I looked to see if I if it was available to stream, and I was like, oh, well, thank God I, thank God I own it. Because um, it it was one that that I knew it was one of the Lynch's that I knew I or think I think I liked. You know, I was like, I'm gonna watch that again one day, and then lo and behold. Here we are, <laughs> and I and I watched it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie to watch, and it might be, it might be the best movie that I've seen this year so far. From a from a rewatch standpoint, it might be the best movie that I've I've rewatched. It is so 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 good, and I forgot how good and what it it is, and how strange it is. But it's. I think it came out in 97, if my time's not right. or I think so. And I think at that time, it was just, I, I didn't have kind of the IQ as far as like cinematic IQ to understand what was going on with it. And um, now I'm at like a, say, a junior college level of, uh, of <laughs> cinema understanding. <laughs> um, so sitting back and watching it, it was just so so good. Like the lighting, the I forgot how tense it was. It's like it's it is it's filmed as almost like a horror thriller neo noir part in the beginning when you have Pullman and uh, Patricia Arquette that character. Everything about it is just so heavy, and the music is so heavy in it. And then you get you get that switch when you get the Balthazar Getty, and then uh, Patricia Arquette plays the the other character that she plays in it, and you get that kind of almost a true romance type uh, type of storyline uh, that happens there in a way, in a way. And you're trying to figure out what is going on with with Balthazar Getty's character, and then. And then all the crazy cameos in it. Gary Busey plays his yeah, dad. Yeah, I saw Gary Busey's in it. Yeah. Richard Pryor is in it. Richard Pryor's? Richard Pryor's. He does like a little cameo. He owns like the mechanic shop. Robert Blake, uh, or is that right? Robert Blake? Um, yes, who plays the mystery man. Mystery Correct. man. And then Robert Loja is great. Marilyn Manson. And then Manson's in it. Like Marilyn Manson's in it. I was like, what? This is crazy. But it is so, so, so good. If you haven't seen Lost Highway, I highly recommend it. It is it's so much fun. It's so heavy. It has a little bit of that that lynch violence in there that it's just like so over the top and crazy and unexpected. It it is so so much fun. I I I, I can't believe I had so much fun watching it again and so the thing that kind of throws you off in it is pullman and balthazar getty's characters they are they're almost interchangeable in a way there's a there's a switch that happens and you're trying to figure out how certain things took place and it's strange that like all these movies are messing around with timelines and identity and and like who everyone is as far as within the context of of their identity within the movie and how their identities switch and and how they how they kind of work within that kind of framework 
So all three of these movies kind of handled that same theme in a way. And I think Lost Highway kind of handled it the best because it, at the heart of it, it's just a, it's a neo-noir femme fatale uh, murder mystery is all. It's just with, with a Lynch spin. Um, and some stuff isn't explained to you and that's fine, but it works. It works on such a great level. And there's, and it's fun to watch movies that don't have modern technology. Everybody's on pay phones or dial up yeah. or something like that. So it's, it's interesting how they, um, they tell the story that way. And it also has that, those, those Lynch moments where the characters are just so weird and over the top. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Looking at the, the list of cast appearances, David Bowie is also in it briefly, I guess. Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins is in it. I don't think Bowie's in it. Uh, he does a soundtrack. He's listed. If he, if he is, it's... Is that like a super like blink and you'll miss a cameo, perhaps? Probably. I mean, there is a party scene. Probably. Maybe he's in a party scene or something. So I, I haven't... I've seen parts of Lost Highway. Lost Highway is one of those movies where I feel like I've seen it, but really I probably haven't seen it. I've definitely seen the beginning with the scene with Bill Pullman and Robert Blake at yeah. the party yeah. or whatever, when he comes up to him and he's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in your house right now, whatever, you know, it's very hand, like ominous. Yeah. Hand me the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And he has that um, crazy makeup. Yeah. So this afternoon when I was kind of just laying around, chilling, relaxing, I was like, okay, so I'm going to watch an explainer video on Lost Highway, just out of curiosity, which I guess is very difficult to do because there's no particular set definition for what happens in the plot. But I'll tell you what I learned from the plot description, and you can tell me if, how, how it connects to your experience of seeing okay. the movie. So spoilers ahead for Lost Highway, if you're listening. So this is how this guy explained it in his video essay, and I thought it was pretty interesting. So we're introduced to Bill Pullman's character, who is married to Patricia Arquette's character. They have a sexual relationship that is kind of failing, and he is upset and angry because he feels like he's not meeting her needs and her desires sexually he feels like he's not really he's, he doesn't really have the relationship that he really wants this idealized relationship with her this killer sex life and he seems very unhappy with his life so he meets robert blake's character at a party who basically acts as like an antagonist to him who is basically a trigger in a form for bill pullman to actually go back and kill his wife so he kills patricia arquette he gets arrested and then sentenced to execution yep. for this act. So he gets sent to the death sentence, so to speak. Now, what happens is at a point in the movie, when Bill Pullman is in prison awaiting execution, there's a blue light scene and he looks up towards the sky and the blue light is the trigger for him to leave his current timeline and to start imagining himself in this alternate timeline as a different person. Yep. So basically it's his fantasy that takes off. In his fantasy, he's Balthasar Getty's character. And he is having a relationship with Patricia Arquette initially, but she looks more like his wife does right now. And it's not working for him. So she changes form and she starts, she becomes the blonde, uh, platinum blonde, like very much femme fatale, you know, damsel in distress type character. And then he's basically imagined himself as Balthazar Getty and they're a young loving couple and he's fully capable of meeting her sexually and they are totally involved with, with one another. Yep. But what happens is ultimately when they can, he consumes that relationship with Arquette and they basically have sex and he has sex with the blonde variant of Arquette. She turns around to him and she goes, you will never really have me. You will never really control me. You'll never really be able to get me, which breaks his illusion. 
So basically, his at that point, Balthazar Getty, his alternate, his id or his different version of himself crumbles. So he's no longer imagining himself as Balthazar Getty. Mm. And what happens is you, there's a scene where he, it basically goes through to up to his execution, I guess. And you see him get electrified and it's him basically getting killed on death row. So that would, this is that guy's interpretation of how the movie is playing out. That and, doesn't and happen. The, oh, it doesn't. Okay. So I probably got a bit mis, mis, misled on the thing. Cause I was like trying to take it out of context and I was like, oh, so that must be the end of the movie. But how does that read go along with what you were reading when you were it's, watching it? It's kind, it's kind of close. Um, it's there is a there's definitely a strained relationship, and they they act it so well, and and the shots are framed in such a way that you can tell that these two people are just not um, into each other, or uh, if they were at one time, then it's it's faded. And then he has this idea that she's cheating on him and he he is trying to figure out if that is the case um now i think the blake character is has something to do with his subconscious like it's his it's his vengeance it's his anger it's his wrath it's like the whole thing is um it's almost like um a manifestation like his his Tyler Durden or whatever, you know, because that character's never explained, really. And the thing is, the Balthazar Getty character is my impression is that Balthazar Getty, Getty character is killed. He's like he something happened one night. He got shot in the head, and then the blue light thing happens, and then Pullman's subconscious gets pulled into Getty. And then Getty wakes up in Pullman's cell, and and they're like, "What?" And the 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 prison officials are like, "What's going on? How? Where is this guy? How? Who is this guy? What's you know?" They're trying to figure it out because Getty's character in the beginning he, he has like a bullet wound. It looks like a bullet wound right in his head that's like slowly healing, and he looks half dead basically. And then that's where he kind of he meets up with the the Arquette character through Loja because it's Loja's mistress or wife or whatever lover, um, and they start to pull off like this heist to uh, to escape like the power of Loja. He's like a crime guy, you know, just like an evil okay, crime yep. guy. And then that's where that whole thing happens. They where they steal everything, and then they go to this cabin where the Blake character is. He's supposed to be a fence, but it's not really. And then that's where that whole "you'll never own me" uh, narrative comes in. And then he flips back to Pullman at that point. And at that point, he can enact his revenge on on Robert Loja. So it's it's crazy. I mean. Me explaining it that way, I know, is so crazy and convoluted and tenant esque, <laughs> where it's like you, there's no way you can understand it. But if you sit down with it and just pay attention to certain things, it, it's a movie you have to watch a couple times, admittedly so. Yeah. I mean, you watch it the first time and you're like, what is going on? It makes no sense. And I probably watched it in like 97, 98 and, and was like, I, that was a waste of time. And then I just rewatched it. I was like, that might be one of my favorite movies that I've seen in a long time. I love that though. 
I love that you can you can take a movie that you weren't necessarily so hot on and all of a sudden watch it and with more experience, yeah. <laughs> all the eyes, so to speak, you know, you've yeah. been around the block a few times, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you will all of a sudden like latch onto the thing and be like, okay, yeah, I, I totally fuck with this now. Like this works for me. Because because Lynch is, he can be polar. I struggle with Yeah, Lynch. he can be yeah. polarizing. But the thing about this is um, it was from a few things that I've read, it's like it is his kind of dipping his toe in this, this idea that he wanted to pursue that led to Mulholland Drive, um, which I, I guess a lot of people consider one of his masterpieces. And and I will admit I've never seen Mulholland Drive. But I've seen it once. But yeah. watching this again makes me want to see Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I think you'll really like Mulholland Drive. It's really good. And I also heard, well, like read or saw whatever that this is lost highway is like the most lynch of lynch movies it's like his ultimate lynch movie <laughs> in terms of it being the most abstract of all of his movies wow that's that yeah which is saying something yeah yeah it's been a while By since i've standards. seen like blue velvet or uh what elephant wild man wild at heart yeah it's been a while since i've seen any of his movies well, the Belcourt, our local art house movie theater, has a midnight movie run, and, and they're going all through uh, February. And the lineup's fucking incredible for their midnight movie run. It's every Saturday at midnight. It opens with The Crow. <laughs> nice. The week after, it does Wild at Heart. The week after that, it's doing Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors in 35mm. <laughs> and then the week after that, it's Paprika, which is that... Um, Animated? Anime thing, yeah. which, yeah, which not really my bag, admittedly. But the first three, though, I pretty much, I might try to go to all three. <laughs> I remember seeing The Crow on opening night at our old Odeon Cinema in Newcastle, which no longer exists, which is a beautiful cinema. And I remember going in with beer to see The Crow opening night, sitting in the very back of the theater, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer <laughs> and watching The Crow. I think I was told badass and smoking cigarettes in a fucking movie theater, which is out of control. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing that in the theater as well. That and um, uh, what was the second one? The second, uh, the, the movie on the list, um, it was Wild at Heart. Yeah, Wild at Heart. The yeah. Lynch movie. Yeah. yeah. Killer movie. Saw both of those. To this day, my theater. favorite Lynch movie. Yeah, yeah. So. Of the ones that I've seen. Yeah, William Defoe, and that is so ridiculous. Yeah, it's so <laughs> awesome. Him and him and Cage both kind of being like. Full, full throttle. On this yeah. escalating battle of insanity mm -hmm. between the two of them. <laughs> it, it's, to me, it will always be my quintessential Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll always associate Nicolas Cage with that movie, and I always in a way we'll associate Nicolas Cage with Elvis and he's doing a lot of Elvis riffs in this movie too. So like the two feel like synonymous. I know. You know? I, I was going to say it's probably, it's probably the best uh, Elvis performance that's been put on screen. Yeah. Bar none. And I don't care what anybody says about that. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. It's an incredible movie. So it's a really good lineup. If anybody's local and they want to check it out, you should, I think it's really worth it for like, $12 a ticket for a midnight screening and it's fun as shit, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, you deal with the Belcourt. I was at the Belcourt last night. I went to see The Whale for the second time. And I, The Whale right now has been relegated to their very, very small screening room, which is upstairs, which is tiny. It looks like you're in somebody's home cinema. You know, when people have their home cinema. <laughs> I don't think I've YouTube ever been upstairs like, there. 
dude, it's tiny. And the problem is, it's like seeing the movie of the Bell Court. So you get people who are respectful, quiet, and watch a movie, and they're there to watch a movie. It's not like EMC on a Saturday night. Although some fucking guy did do that. Some guy got his fucking cell phone out, and the room's so small, like, it was, it was kind of wild. But I was on a date, so I did not do my usual... You know what's funny? Uh -huh. Okay, talking about this, we'll talk about this in the, in the episode. Listeners might think this is interesting. So Eric and I, Eric and I and Zach, Chris and everybody, we all go to see movies together a lot. And we've seen, Eric and I have seen so fucking many movies at the movie theater <laughs> together. Zach too. Like we've seen a lot with just us three. And Eric can attest for this, that I do not put up very well with people <laughs> on cell phones at movies. Like I'll fucking freak out. You know what I mean? Yeah. While people talking. I'm very vocal about my disdain for it. And so is Zach too. Oh yeah. Zach straight up fucking like say something. <laughs> so there's been many a screen and we've had an AMC where I've like openly had words with somebody about their cell phone. The most notable of which recently was, I forgot what movie it was, but I really got into it with that guy in the front row. Um, was it Bones was and all? It was Bones and all, yeah. yeah. Me and him had words. Yeah. And like, but anyway, so I'm on a date last night and I'm watching this movie at, and the guy goes on his fucking cell phone in front of me and then it starts getting egregious. It Once is fine. But when you're doing it like two or three times, especially at the bell court, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're taking the fucking piss and the room was tiny. And I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to make her feel embarrassed <laughs> by me saying something. Yeah. So I just held my tongue, oh. which is, I did the whole movie. And was he just I on his really phone the whole time? To. He was just texting people the whole fucking time. I thought they were like super strict about that. Yeah. But I think the problem was, is I was in the back row. This, this theater is tiny. It's like a fucking shoebox, And I was on the back row and he was on the row before me. And there's only like four rows. So nobody could tell. And it was just shining back at us. Like, you know what I mean? On his phone. And, Another thing that's interesting about that screening room at the Belcourt, because it's so small, they have a big projector that comes from the ceiling down. But because the room's so tiny, the projector isn't hidden behind a different room. So it's not sound blocked. Oh, okay. So the projector's in the room overhead and projectors are loud, loud as fuck. Yeah. So you can hear the projector running the whole time and you get used to it. It becomes like white noise after a while. Mm -hmm. But at first it's jarring because and, and it's kicking out a lot of heat too. It's just a weird, it's a... I wouldn't recommend it. If you go to the Belcourt and, and, and you buy a ticket and you are local, you want to see something, if it's on that screen, honestly, just watch it at home at that point. Yeah. I would. <laughs> but The Whale, second time round, yeah. um, I did enjoy a lot. I actually really do enjoy that movie. I don't think it's any better second time I saw it. I still have all my issues with The Whale from the first time totally remain. It did not change my mind. I wasn't all of a sudden like a convert oh, to the movie. Okay. Like I can be with other movies, you know what I mean? Is it, it, no, is it, it like it, full Aronofsky sort of craziness? It's like diet Aronofsky, oh, really? which is weird. It's weird. I think it's his tamest movie. Okay. Um, but it's also by with, it's his tamest movie, but it's also as cruel as Requiem for a Dream, just in a different way. Oh, okay. It's very cruel. Okay. Like it definitely has that mean streak to it, I think, which seems a little, it's almost like comical, the cruelty in this one though. It's so dialed up that it, it feels like, it's jarring when it happens, so it takes you totally out of the movie. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, I'm going to see it. I just don't think I'm going to, like, I don't think I'm going to take the time to see it in theaters, to be honest. No, I just wait till it comes out on streaming. I think it's coming out streaming soon. I think Peacock might be getting it okay. soon. Um, probably, I, re I reckon they'll get it the week of the Oscars. Okay. So, I mean, so the episode we were trying to deal with difficult movies of our past or of the past, and, and we just, I just came up with three movies off the top that I knew that I had kind of a hard time with initially. 
and wanted to give them a second look, um, and which I'm happy I did. I mean, even though uh, Cloud Atlas is a lot to handle and it is probably an hour and a half too long, <laughs> longer than it needs. It's almost three hours long. It's not necessary. It is two hours 54. Yeah, I think. yeah it's not necessary, but there's a there's a, some pretty cool set pieces and there's um, some fun storylines uh, that are nice, but then the, some of it is just, so kind of throw away and there's there are some kind of problematic things within it but i mean it's also dealing with identity so mm, i don't know you know a lot of you know white people playing asian characters and stuff like that yeah. so it's kind of you mm -hmm. know i don't know some some people wouldn't enjoy that aspect of it you know but i mean overall it's it's i'll never watch it again sort of thing it's yeah. like I'm not going to go back to it. Yeah, but I mean, like Lost Highway, I would. It's a movie that I might want to watch like once a year, sort of thing. Tenant, I probably never again. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know that I can do it. Yeah, I've, I've given up on Tenant, and I own it, but I'm just like, no. I've, so, I've tried three times. If I can't do it, that's a, <laughs> like, no, no, no way. That's too much. We it, it dedicated is, too much time. It's like, it. yeah, it's another one that's like three hours almost. So it's like you're not gonna get me with that. I know we wanted to keep this super tight, and we're about at that time. Did you want to talk about the the best picture stuff? Oh my God, you, me and you, you know what it is? You complete me, Eric. I already have it up. I have it up on my screen. And that was what I was going to say we should talk about next. Let's talk about just, we'll, we'll briefly go over like the main few nominations, like actor, movie, supporting. I really, the ones I really, really just to wanted about to talk else. about Best Picture. I don't really care so much about the actors and stuff the performances. like performances? Yeah, I, I really don't care. Let's, okay, I'll tell you what. We'll save we'll save the Oscars for another episode. Okay. We'll talk about we'll talk about the best picture just here right here. Yeah, right yeah, I'm yeah. gonna read them out. Yeah. Okay. I'll go from top to bottom of the best picture nominations because I have them on my screen. It's very interesting, I think. So we have Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Inishirin, Triangle of Sadness, The Fablemans, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water. Elvis and Tar. One of these things is not like the other. What popped out to you? <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. This entire list is an abomination. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. It's a crazy list. I was so... Yeah, and that's why I've given up kind of on the Oscars in a way, you know? Um, yeah, it is irrelevant. so almost egregious how ridiculous this list is there how i can't i can't and i think they've been toying around with this uh I've, I've been biting i've been like chomping at the bit to talk about this a little bit i think they've been playing around with this idea of popular movies um this idea of audience like these movies so let's add them into the list or let's make their own list uh, being the popular movies or the most successful movies or or something like that, which Top Gun and Avatar play within that, which is fine. You want you want to make a category that is most successful, most popular, audience appreciated sort of category. Do that, but you can't throw Avatar and Top Gun in with Tar. You can't throw it in with banshees. You can't even add after sun. This this takes away 
a spot for after sun, you know, and and the Fablemans. Why you knew that? We knew that. We, <laughs> I mean, that's all the fucking trailer for the Fablemans. You said immediately, Oscar best picture. I mean, because it's it's so it's it's weird and it's upsetting and it's dumb and stupid, and I can't believe I can't. I honestly can't believe, and and I know that makes me sound like a weird old kind of angry crusty guy but but it's like top gun and avatar are not best pictures they're not they're successful and 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 probably two of the most successful movies of last year and that's fine rightfully so i mean they did what they were supposed to do but they're not they're not of the caliber that those other films are at you know i mean it's tricky it's tricky. I mean, I agree with you. Okay, but like, so there's two ways I'm looking at this list. I'm looking at the inclusion of Top Gun and Avatar as popularist tip of the cap. So we'll tip our cap to the popularist vote because nobody gives a fuck about the Oscars. We're coming into the Oscars a year after the slap. So nobody gives a shit now because we're not going to have a slap again. So <laughs> what are we going to get from the Oscars that's going to make it worthwhile us watching? Yeah. You know? Now, because of that, they've got to stay relevant. They've got to stay appealing. And they're aware of the fact that People are going to see these fucking movies in their droves. Like millions and millions of dollars have been spent on these movies. So I kind of get, I don't think, do I think Top Gun or Avatar is going to win Best Picture? Absolutely not. Not at all. If there was down to a public vote, perhaps. Yeah. But in terms of like the Academy voting, no. I think it's just a kind of, it's like a goodwill gesture. But because, like you said, because of the goodwill gesture, it's knocked movies that I think are very deserving. Mm -hmm. That's two spots it's taken up that are fucking filler spots that they know they're not going to give Best Picture to. So can we not just get After Sun in there? Can we get, uh, can we champion something that somebody might, like, can we get Decisions Leave in there? Can we get oh, something? Oh, yeah, I mean. From, you know? And like, I've seen Top Gun multiple times. I've seen fucking Avatar. And like, yeah, there's not, it's not, they're not, they are incredibly fun and very, very well crafted movies. Now, there could be an anti-argument for me listening to this being like, well, shouldn't that be recognized too? Like if something's its value is entertainment, then you know what I mean? And like I'm not I'm not gonna do that argument because I'll I'll just come across sounding pretentious, but yeah, <laughs> fuck it, I am pretentious. Like, no, I, it's not. They're not even it's not fit neither of those movies are fit enough to kiss the fucking boots of After Sun of my nah, No, my I mean uh, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, what? Why not just throw Avatar into best animated? Because best <laughs> computer generated it. movie ever made. Period, and just give, and then just give Cameron an, uh, the Oscar and just be done with it. You know, if if I was to take those two out, though, there's a few other movies I would take out the list. I would take out Triangle of Sadness. No offense, yeah, I would. Fine. It's it it's a fun movie, but it's not a great movie. I take that. Out. I take out the Fablemans just because I have issues with the fucking Fablemans. <laughs> I would leave Elvis and Tar in there. You know what's a, a crazy ass? A, I I love that woman talk. Women talking got in there. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. that got in there, but that came out fucking nowhere because nobody's talking about that movie, except the women talking in the movie. But like, they, you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody's talking. But like, I'm pleased that that got in there. Great. Okay. Great. But you could have thrown in more movies like that. All Quiet on the Western Front. That's crazy. did that take you by surprise? That took me totally by surprise. It's nominated for like four Oscars. Or something crazy, which kind of goes to show you the kind of the political strength almost of Netflix or like streaming services, or because that that wasn't you didn't get a, a massive release for that, if any. 
that I remember. It was just straight to Netflix sort of thing. Now it's a it's a good it's it's a good movie. It's it's very tough. It's a good it, war movie. And yeah. It's very brutal. Does it belong on this list? No, it no. doesn't. Foreign, foreign, no, it best foreign. Is it on best foreign? It is. It is. It's on best foreign and best film. So it could potentially win both. Now it won't. Yeah, no, it won't. I don't think it will. But so then, in that case, the the jaded pessimistic viewpoint that I have of this list is: you've got your Top Gun and Avatar in there to appeal to um, Joe blogs on the street. They want people to tune in. Exactly. You have All Quiet on the Western Front in there to appeal to the Netflix Netflix crew, to appeal to the industry side No of one things. watched. Yeah. But they're going to have to start dealing with, as Netflix keeps snapping up talented filmmakers to make movies, they're going to have to start addressing this. Because just like you said, you watched Mank the other night, Finch it, Netflix original. They're going to have to, and, and this is, I think, their way of adapting and being like, okay, we've got to start acknowledging these streaming-only movies that come out. Um, because they have to. And, and I know the rules is still that it has to get a theatrical screening to get on the Oscars. So Netflix pay a small run of cinemas just to play, just to qualify yeah. the movie. Because they did that with what, the Irishman, whatever. Yeah, fucking, yeah, yeah. They did that before. <laughs> so, so it feels like to me, and then you have women talking thrown into that out of fucking nowhere, yeah. right? Out of nowhere, which feels like to me, and appeal to like, oh, let's put a, um, and this is very cynical, and I just, I hope this isn't true, but to a, it, it's it's a, it's a female director, yeah, Sarah Polly, isn't it? So then why not throw an after son? Yeah, another female director. Why not throw in? I know the argument. There's the argument for Woman King, uh, which is Gina Bryce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever, and then um, Till, which was directed by yeah. a black woman too. Mm-hmm. Now I understand the argument about throwing those movies in. Now are those movies as good as? I haven't seen them, so I can't speak. I can't speak. Are those other movies as good as Banshees of Inner Sharon? I can't speak for that. I don't know. But it feels like if you're going to throw a woman talking in there, what, let's get rid of Top Gun out here. Let's get rid of fucking... Mm-hmm. Um, leave All Quiet on the Western Front in because it's still an our house movie. It's still a good fucking movie. It's still it's an international movie. It's still good. It's still good. Leave it in. Yeah. But like, get Avatar out here. Get get top top gun out here and then like if you really want to fill out the list then start covering more of your bases but then that's what's weird about the oscars though and it's weird about inclusion and diversity and representation and all of that stuff for me is it still should boil down to what the best movie is so i i still think that what the best movie is it feels weird to include things based on like tokenism because that also feels reductive to the argument you know what i mean it's like oh well there's no female uh, directors nominated this year but then to put a movie in just because it is. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's what they've done, but I understand. I'm not saying this, I'm not even saying this argument is is legitimate, but I understand that argument yeah. because it feels a little. But then again, that just shows like then the the institution and the award show, it's just stupid and it's just a fucking stupid thing in general <laughs> because you're pitting art against art and art's subjective. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. So you're going to have problems no matter what no you fucking ma- do no because ma- the whole no thing is irrelevant what. and stupid. So the qu- so the question, who's going to win? If I had to put money on it, I'd probably put it on. I, I okay. Here's my my money goes. Elvis, I would put it on. I'd put it on Banshees, Elvis, or everything for Best Picture. Well, how about you? Who I would want to win out of that list is Triangle. Who who I mean who, who do I? Oh, you would. You, what out of, out of everything on that list is triangle out of that You're list right man. there i mean triangle was my number you num- think triangle's better than tar yeah you do don't yeah you? i mean tar was like my number mm. nine 
on those. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. triangle was was higher. Higher. A lot higher. Who's gonna win? Uh everything is gonna win. You think? They're not gonna give it to Spielberg. He's he's had his he had he's yeah, had he's his day in the sun. They're not gonna give it to Avatar, they're not gonna give it to Top Gun. If Elvis gets one, I think it's for um Austin Butler. But they're not gonna give it to Butler, they're gonna give it to Frazier. I don't know. That's I don't know. True. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we can get into the weeds on this of a show. I probably mean, neither list, one of us are going to yeah. watch. Of that list, who who do I think wins best movie based off just that list? Yeah. It, who who like I would want? I'd either want Tar to win it or Banshees because I think they're the two best movies on the list. I can't speak for Women Talking because I haven't seen yeah, it. Same. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak for that. But I would say, yeah, of those two, I'd, I'd be happy if Ta or Banshees win it. Um, but you, yeah, everything's, yeah, might win it. Um, I think everything is going to steamroll it, really. For some reason, you know, I mean, it was it was good, but it's like, I, I watched it once and I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. But And that was mm-hmm. about, that was all I needed sort of thing. I don't know. And dear listener, as we're wrapping things up for the evening, you fucking know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> who the authority is on movies you know which list is the only list to trust and it's our list yeah. from our best of episodes of which part one just released recently there you go hopefully the, i might release this before part two just to pad it out a little bit yeah but you know you come to come to us you're in the right place we got you covered don't fucking listen to the oscars nah, none of that shit nah, nah, nah. nah. and uh, do yourself a favor go out there watch some difficult movies Watch movies that you think that you didn't get the first time around and give it a shot. Revisit. 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 And I was going to say too, when we were talking about this, like earlier today, so what happened earlier today is I sat down, I had a lot of time exactly to finish Cloud Atlas before we started recording. And it was going to be a full Cloud Atlas episode. That's what it was going (laughs) to be. That's what we're going to do. After 20 minutes, I text Eric and I'm like, Hold on, is Tom Hanks being an Irish gangster right now? What What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Five minutes later, I text her and I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't. Want, I don't want to finish it. I can't. I can't do the episode. So we're talking about movies on the fly. But you know what I think is interesting? I want to bring this up to discuss it a tiny bit before we go. The nature of what our podcast is and what we do, and we yeah, we do have a bit of a formula that we've kind of carved out over the, over the years that we've done this. We're heading into our second year. Yeah, we've carved out a little bit of a formula, but really, it's it's friends talking about movies. And sometimes I don't go to the movie theater. Sometimes I don't. Like, sometimes I don't catch the latest release. Sometimes I don't want to see the latest release. Yeah. Sometimes, like, Infinity Pool just dropped and I just don't want to see it. You know, we'll go through phases where I don't want to see it. Sometimes I watch movies at home. Sometimes I just spend a week rewatching movies I've seen, like, three or four times f- for comfort. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'll put something on and I'll stop it. And that's what all of us do. So I think talking about movies like that mm-hmm. in the way that we consume movies is also should be part of this show. And I think we should start introducing these catch-up episodes where we just talk about shit we've been watching. You know, we Absolutely. talk about yeah. random thoughts because it breaks up. Yeah, there's going to be weeks like where we just, we're just non-committal and we just want to like- I don't you know? think I've been to the theater all January. There's nothing yeah. I want to see. But it's like that every year. There's like, there's nothing I want to see January and February typically. Um, and then when it starts to hit March, maybe they'll like pepper some stuff in. Then I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll go see that. But I mean, usually I don't, I don't go to the theaters until it, a couple months has passed because they're just releasing nonsense. 
Yeah. It was but the I mean, same last year, Eric. We did the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Last year, if you look at those episodes we do, and it was all streaming shit we were doing because we just like, I don't want to go. Something going. Yeah. And I, I think when we did, we forced ourselves to go to a couple things like Chucky or something like that, you know, because we're like, oh, we just need to go. So, yeah. Yeah. We just get out of the house, yeah. you know, for a laugh. Anyway. Well, that's been another thrilling episode of Movies Last Night. There you go. There you go. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys like the new format. <laughs> Thank you.